Hi, I'm Patrick Kagan, your host for Sales Hindsights, a conversation that combines my 30 plus years of experience with the expertise of my guests. And trust me, all of them will amaze you. Now, it's been said that hindsight is 2020 vision. So, my guests and I are charged with answering one thing for you knowing what we know now, what best practices and takeaways have the last 30 years in sales, sales management, executive leadership, and entrepreneurship provided to us that you can take with you. So enjoy the listen as we conversate for your growth. Okay, thank you for tuning into our podcast, Sales Hindsights. Just by tuning in, you are already getting ahead in the process of self-improvement. Now, during our conversation, you will discover that we make sales make sense. And we go beyond that. We tackle issues dealing with management, leadership, team building, self-confidence, entrepreneurship, and yep, life itself. So our goal will be to make all of it make sense. And we do it with a very practical and easy-to-understand approach. We give you the nuggets you carry with you each day. And when life throws a challenge your way, you'll know exactly what to do. You'll have the confidence to reach down in your pocket, pull out that nugget, and you'll know what to do. Now, you're going to find almost every resource you need at our website, pksolutionsgroup.com, for you to become the better version of your own professional self. So visit PK Solutions Group today. You'll also find a link to my calendar in the podcast show description. Set up some time with me if you find that you have more you need to unpack in your own professional life. And finally, I want to thank you for the likes, the shares, and the follows. It makes a huge difference. It allows us to continue bringing you great content and more importantly, great guests. Joining me today is my guest, Mark Hayes. Mark is the founder of a company called salescoacher.com, coach with an R-C-O-A-C-H-R.com. He's the author of a fantastic book. It's called Sales Coaching Essentials. And Mark's taken a great approach to the idea of how important coaching is to help sustain sales, grow sales, and protect revenue. And it's really a lost art. Companies got away from onboarding a long time ago and it became socially and professionally acceptable not to onboard employees. So imagine what they did with the the luxury and the necessity of coaching a salesperson in their job. So they manage salespeople and sales leaders through the process of coaching effectively. So Mark, welcome to our podcast today. Thank you, Patrick. Hopefully I did justice to what you do on a daily basis because it's hard to coach. <laughs> it's hard to coach people who are supposed to be coaching. It is. And it's in black and white in the job descriptions of many sales leaders. It's something that is prioritized by many organizations, but somehow along the way it's neglected, right? Yeah. People know when they admit it to me, I know I should be coaching, but I can't quite find the time because I'm juggling 14 priorities. Now other people will tell them, well, you should be coaching. And it comes down to the culture of the organization. We can talk about coaching. We can convince ourselves we're coaching, but it's just surprising how often it's left out. We're focusing on being laptop warriors. We're knee deep in all kinds of tech these days. You know, we're whammed with uh, tech stack overflow. 
when we should actually be having those conversations with our key people. Unless we're doing that, uh, there's going to be slippage and problems. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you described a symptom of a greater problem where, you know, people people embrace their title. I'm the sales manager. And mm-hmm. managing is a whole different skill set compared to leading. And and manage in my mind has to do with process. Leading has to do with people. And I think that yes. I think that, you know, it's easy. It's you know, when we talk about salespeople and call avoidance, the the fear of making a sales call. So they do other things. Well, leaders have coaching avoidance and there's this fear of confrontation, I think. So maybe walk us through your concept or your theory about the difference between training versus coaching and why coaching is really so important. Yeah, training is essentially, and this is a very basic concept, training is the transfer of, let's say, knowledge from one person to one other or many at the same time, whereas coaching is predicated on the belief that what you need is already within you. Hmm. Training is, in some respects, HR activity. It's a way of bringing people up to speed, giving them stuff they don't know, don't have, aren't able to use yet. But coaching is the stuff that uses it, takes advantage of it, embeds it, sustains it. I can't imagine anyone in any field, particularly sports people, who could not be where they are without coaching. Yeah. Because the coach is the person that helps that person with mindset, with behavior. Training often focuses on things like knowledge and skills, whereas coaching is the stuff that moves someone forward into champion territory. Yeah. And it's something that is, again, to your point, it's overlooked. And uh, it's just a natural reaction I have when I'm working with people, I, I don't want to tell them what to do because that's easy. That's training, you know, reinforcing. And often people go over the same thing again and again. You keep training people without sustaining that knowledge that people have. You're not getting return on investment. So the fundamental difference between training and coaching is in the simplistic uh, sense of the word. Training is giving people stuff. Coaching is making sure they use it and get something from it. Yeah, I like to use the analogy of of imagine you're you know you're producing a a, um, a Broadway play and you have actors and training is helping them memorize their lines and coaching is showing them how to deliver a standing ovation performance using the tools they have using the experiences they have the lines are memorized now how do you make mm. that something that you can do so it's not what to say. But it's how to do it, and and I, yes. think, I think that's and I, I I've found it. You know, I've I've been in leadership roles for forty years. I've found that the coaching element is the most important element in getting someone to go from they did ten percent of what you expected to the next day they did eleven percent, and by the end of the year they're doing seventy percent, and by the next year they're a hundred percent. You can work on the next skill or development. I mean, what are some of your tips for, for those folks that are leaders that say, you know, I don't coach at all or enough. What are some tips on, I guess, becoming effective at that skill? I think you have to want to because co- coaching is very much something where you lean into the connection you have with people. When you are in coach mode, you're someone who's curious about not just what people do, but why they do that thing. And when I think of 
the great salespeople I've hired or I've found, I've been lucky to find, I look for the why, not not the what, but the why, because that's the rocket fuel. So I think coaching is something which continues. When we train, there's a stop and a start. Coaching doesn't end. It shouldn't end. So it begins where it counts most. And I think that coaching starts with onboarding, making sure that people are coachable from the outset. You can arguably coach people down the line. It gets trickier. I think when we look for people who are coachable, it's far easier to coach them. So that's the first tip I'd give is make coaching something that you do at hiring time, looking for that talent that fits your culture. Is this person open to feedback? To your point, Patrick, Mm -hmm. which we talked about off air. Is someone really open to taking the the hints and the help I'm giving them to improve, or are they mind fixed? Have they a fixed mindset on doing things their way? I would also say that when it comes to making coaching easy, just be curious, sit down, ask people questions. Anyone can do that. It's a human ability we all have. And there are three steps, I think, to any coaching session. One is preparation, obviously. Two is conversation. And three is application, and they're all essential. So just think of the person that you think you need to spend time with this week. Rather than going in and telling them what to do and applying what you know how to do, think of what they perhaps may not yet realize about themselves. We all have blind spots. So can you perhaps reflect on the help that someone needs and align with their own needs, their own view of their own success, and ask questions Resist the temptation to provide solutions. That's the preparation. What can I focus on? Are there particular competencies that are naturally a good place to start with this person? Maybe think of the sales process, how they're performing. You can use all kinds of data points. Then think of the conversation. What kinds of questions could I ask to stimulate that person to think about what they're doing, what they're not doing, and reflect to them what you're hearing? And often that's very valuable, Patrick. If I can hear myself from your mouth, I go, oh, I didn't realize I'm doing this. I'm not doing this or not thinking this way. And then the third part is application. This is crucial. Coaching is only coaching when it leads to behavioral change. So ensuring that you don't just end a coaching session saying, hey, that was great. Thanks. Good luck. Goodbye. Whatever. You have to follow up. You have to ensure that what someone committed to doing is actually what they end up doing. So there, that's a three, it's a three kind of part trifecta of making coaching easy to start with. That's a great trifecta. It really is. And and I liked a lot of what you said and starting, you know, with the idea of curiosity and people use the word curious quite often. And it really is rooted in the feeling of empathy. And 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 so I'm, I'm fe- I've felt what you felt. Let me ask you how you're feeling. I want to, I've experienced what you've experienced. And I think the best approach any leader can take when they're going to try to coach somebody is this curious or empathetic approach. Um, and I and I love the idea of the preparation. I mean, it's really good to, to take the pressure off of the salesperson. They're with their boss, so to speak, and they're, they're going to be observed. And to say, hey, I, I'm there to see if we can improve where we're going as a team. Is there any particular skill you want to work on while I'm there? What should I be watching for from your perspective? That really makes it a lot easier than you're under a microscope, you know, and that sets some <laughs> expectations. That's so true. Do you find there are any detractors that 
you know, there's a lot of folks who they don't, we talked about it, they don't coach or they don't do enough of coaching. And now they're going to go jump in the car, go and sit in front of a customer and they're going to air quotes, become the coach. What are some things they do that are like, don't do that. That's a big mistake or that's going to demotivate. Like what are some detractors from the coaching process from your experience? It's not thinking empathetically to your point, Patrick. It's not thinking, well, what is it like to be on the receiving end of, of me? You know, if if someone receives me or, or hears me, do they put up defenses? So it's being really, um, it's, it's using emotional intelligence. Daniel Goleman's, Goleman's book on emotional intelligence, the importance of self-awareness, that's so important. What's it like to be led by me? And it reminds me of a great book by Goffey and Jones, Why Should Anyone Be Led By Me? Coaching is pivotal. So there's an emotional uh, bridge, first of all. What does that person feel when they think of me, if I'm working with them, how do they listen to me? Do they listen to me at all? Do they see this as imposition, inquisition, interrogation? So we have to think of how we approach this in a way that the person feels, and I think there are three C's in coaching, collaborative, co-creative, and cooperative. People must want to be coached by you. In fact, people must want to be coached. And it's, it's funny how often the people who are in most need of coaching are the people who don't think they need coaching. And I'm sure people are smiling as they're listening to this. It's true. I'm thinking of two senior AEs I do work with occasionally on deal reviews, and they come to me for coaching. And they, they you might say, are not the ones in need of coaching, but that's a false premise. Actually, people who understand coaching, value it, and want it, they come to me looking for it will come to you, Patrick. So that, that's another thing to think of is that people must want it. And you want you must have someone who gets it, understands it, and, and is grateful for it. It's so hard to coach people when they close down. And if you think of the word uh, coach, CO, that's why the CO is in cooperative, co-creative, and collaborative. It's reminding us that it's a two-way street. And the other thing I'll say is that because it's a two-way street, you must be open to being coached as well, okay? You, you cannot be the person who does the coaching and does not listen to what you're getting in terms of feedback. Great sales leaders, and I've seen a few in my time, are vulnerable and they're saying, I don't know it all, and it's okay not to know it all. They're okay with asking for help and feedback, and they're willing to be coached as well. So it starts from the top. It's behavior-driven, and that links to values. Yeah, I, I love what you're saying. I, I love the, the idea that people should want to be coached. However, most people, they don't want to be coached. They don't, they, and, and that's okay. That's a natural instinct because it seems like it's criticism and people don't like criticism. I've found two things I wanted to throw at you that when I'm, when I'm out either modeling the proper coaching behavior or, or observing somebody who's, who's practicing and becoming a coach, I've found two things. One is that um, managers tend to want to say that was great. Everything was great. They want to use superlatives uh, and or leaders or coaches or whatever. They, they first thing out of their mouth, that was great. That's a great call. And, and they start talking. And I think it's okay to understand that um, clear communication is kind communication. So not everything is great. And it's better to boil out these superlatives. It's okay to, to say we, we started talking about what you wanted to work on. Tell me how you thought you did with that skill versus that was great because 
that that's the first part of it is I think that there's this tendency to feel uncomfortable being clear if something wasn't great and clear is kind. That's my first thing. The second thing I noticed is that when a manager speaks, the person they're coaching seems to take that as negative input, even if it's positive. So it's better to have them speaking because they're going to tear themselves apart and then the manager can actually piece them back together and focus back on that one skill. What do you think about those two things? Do you see that or experience that as well? Yeah, it's a tendency we all have to say something where we end a sentence with the word perfect. I know some people who've, it's a tick. It's a, it's a, perhaps a nervous thing where they, they go, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Or they say perfect, perfect, perfect. And that kind of language bleed, as I call it, doesn't really help because the person then is confused as to whether that's a way of ending the conversation or the topic, or are you actually giving me feedback here? What does perfect mean anyway? So it's a discipline not to pass comment. That's a great point. So again, this is where self-awareness comes in. And this is why when you are coaching, you should be asking for feedback. And all coaches ought to be people who are coached by other coaches. So I have a coach who calls me every single day for four minutes, and that's a nice discipline. The point is that unless I'm aware of how I'm coaching, I will not know what to change. So if, if you are someone who makes those um, or uses that word like uh, perfect or gotcha or that was great, you're not actually helping the person. So that's a great point you've raised. Think of a way to end that point or continue on to the next part of that conversation with any other word, something like I understand or I see or ask a question, paraphrase what they've said and get them to phrase it perhaps differently. So you really have to be hyper aware of not just what they're saying, but how you're responding to what they're saying. Can you remind me of your second point, Patrick? Well, my, my second uh, point was that when the manager speaks, the, the person they're coaching can tend to take that as criticism when it might even be positive. Yes. Yeah. Yes, of course, because when you suddenly switch hats, you might think, well, I'm coaching now, the person should see me differently. Um, there are times when coaching will not work. So we've to decide how we coach and if we vary the style of how we coach for different people. Not everyone needs to be coached. Not everyone can be coached. Not everyone is the right person to coach. So when people perhaps resist what we're saying, it might be because they feel resistance to what we're hearing. We have to be non-judgmental in some respects, not all respects, but to be open to hearing someone's frame of reference. How do they see their pipeline? How do they see the team? How do they see the tools that they're using? And working with them to bring them around as best you can so they're actually hearing what they're saying. And I think coaching is a really tricky skill to apply, particularly if you're not used to being curious. If you're used to imposing your will on people and directing them and telling them what to do, it can seem strange to all of a sudden hold back, resist and listen instead. But when people feel that you're listening, it's amazing how the transformation happens so quickly. People go, oh, my God, you haven't jumped in and told me what to do. You've asked me a question. You've listened to what I've said and you've paraphrased. That confirms you're hearing what I'm saying, using someone's language back to them. And in a coaching session, this is crucial. When someone hears that you are using their terms, uh, whatever terms they are, or empathizing with their feelings, it's like the drawbridge comes down. 
And now you get permission to plant some seed of support and help and direction. Well, I, I found a lot of folks who are in leadership roles nowadays, either there's, there's one of two profiles I've run into. Those that have been on the job long enough that they're just made the leader, but they have no leadership or coaching training. So they themselves don't know how to do it. And, and then it can become one of these conversations that lacks preparation. And the preparation is really the anchor to get back to. You said you wanted to work on this skill, or I was looking to watch this skill. We talked about that in the office. Tell me how you thought that went, that part. And the other is that you have people who have been wildly successful as a salesperson themselves, and now they're made the manager. And it's important to remember that you may have been a great player, air quotes, on the field as a professional athlete or whatever, or salesperson. But when you're the coach, you're not on the field. And I've seen those that are there to coach, they suddenly can't take it and they take over the sales call because they want it to go a different way. And their instinct is to sell. And so I think that's some detractor I see with coaching is that the coach can't keep their mouth shut because they know how to sell. Do you find that as well? Yes. And it's understandable because you see a problem, you know the solution, you want to fix it. And the shortcut is to tell people what to do. Right. But that shortcuts their creativity. And if you think of it, why do we hire salespeople? Because they're curious and creative. And we can trust them with the territory, with, with global accounts, named accounts, etc., and let them get on with it. If we don't enlist their help in developing themselves, it's going to be a hard slog. And many managers don't do that, particularly the ones who've come from the field or they've been promoted, not because they're natural leaders, it's because they're natural something else. So... What they what they do is they start telling people what their solutions are and not helping the person to think for themselves. And I think great coaches keep accountability on the reps side of the table or the manager side of the table when it's a senior person coaching. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. I wanted to talk to you about, you know, the, the concept in in my day, way back when, you know, 40 years ago, we called it curbside critiques, right? And that would be you know, conceptually, you have this meeting with a client, you, you go back out to the car. Before you do anything else, on the curbside, you, you have that conversation. So what I, what I always loved about that concept was the timing of the coaching, the immediacy of that, as compared to quarterly reviews of performance or annual reviews of performance. And I wanted to get your take on the difference between the immediacy versus the end of the year you give this performance review. Well, think of feedback beginning with F, F for fresh. Mm -hmm. Feedback is best when it's fresh, top of mind. People have something still that they're mulling over. Mm -hmm. I think feedback delayed is feedback wasted. Mm -hmm. When you, it's almost like a HR thing. When people think of performance appraisals down the line, it's like a HR activity people have stored somewhere this list of all the things people haven't done the transgressions it comes across as really negative mm -hmm. oh i think you i thought you'd forgotten that nope it's down in the black book whereas feedback gives me a chance to do something about the thing uh once i know what i've not done or what i have done so curbside critique is very important how you phrase it how you deliver it's a different thing yeah, and because you don't want to micromanage, right? Mm -hmm. So when I use the analogy of the performer on stage, if I wait till the performance is over and then give my performer feedback and, and people booed them, I'm not doing my job as a coach. 
But if I have the opportunity, not let's say between acts or even between lines, to help coach, meaning let them understand their own skills and abilities to make the next line or next scene better, that's helpful. Waiting till the end doesn't help. And so I, you know, I always love the timing of it focused on your, you know, what's going to happen next in this whole process, not well, let's say till the end of the year. And like you said, we'll, we'll do something for human resources and back into a, a small pay raise or a whatever. Yeah. It's, that's what it's viewed as. It's not viewed as getting me better. Why didn't you tell me back then? How did you remember that? Oh, I wrote it down. It's negative. And that leads people to not want to be coached. So coaching effectively leads to wanting to be coached effectively down the road. Yeah. I mean, who wants that? Uh, it, it does come across as you've caught me out. Uh, so there are simplistically two aspects of coaching to keep things simple for people listening. And it's not difficult to remember. People might say, well, there's only one kind of coaching. There's not. Coaching takes two branches. One is developmental. One is directive. Directive is what you've just alluded to. So if there's something going on. It's a deal in flight. This person is missing a trick. I'm going to help them to, you know, close that gap, identify the, the problem, x-ray the deal, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm kind of marrying what I know with what they need to know and helping them define that thing and realize it's worth so they can do it next time without my intervention. Developmental, that might be where over time, I'm going to help people to acquire skills or knowledge or experience. So directive is perhaps more got to do it now. And developmental is more of the longer term sustainability. The trouble is people do more of the first and not enough of the second. Yeah, yeah. What do you I, think, Patrick? Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. People, people can tell you what you did wrong. They can't necessarily demonstrate how to do it right. And and also, I think that when you look at coaching, you have to have the mindset that direction is more important than speed. You can't be in a rush yes. to get to a result. You have to be happy as a coach saying this person got half of one percent better from spending an entire week with me. And that has to be a large step for you, not a baby step. That has to be huge because human pe- human nature is not to change. So any movement in a positive direction is good. That's true. People coached against their will are of the same opinion still. Absolutely. I totally love it. All right. Last last question for you. For those that are, are, are aware that they are not coaching frequently enough or at all or they're not good at it, What's in it for them? So talk to them about what are the outcomes they could expect by taking the first step to becoming a better coach? What are the outcomes that you've seen you've delivered for your customers or other coaches have gotten? I think you'll become a better person because coaching is not something that ends at the office door. Uh, You could become a better parent, a better partner. You could become a better colleague because you're leaning into what everyone wants is, which is to be understood, listened to, loved and and heard. And that's in short supply these days. We're all rushing to judgment, social media. We'll not go into a rant here, but, you know, it's quick fixes and, and, and imposition of solutions. So that's the first thing. I think you'll become a, a better person. The second thing is you become a better leader because people, anyone, to your earlier point about the difference between managers and leaders, a manager is a title, right? You know, congratulations, here's the bad sheriff. But a leader is someone who people voluntarily follow. They look to, they want to emulate and aspire to be. When you're coaching, that's an act of generosity. 
and it comes back in the form of reciprocity. People now feel that's the way to behave and you get more of that in the team. And it has a payback also for you because people want to help you because you've helped them. So coaching is an act of generosity. It creates a culture of interdependence, not independence or dependence on you as a manager, if your style is management. And the third, I would say, is that you'll get better performance. You'll get people who want to stick around, and that's crucial. Nothing worse than coaching people and watching them leave. Well, there is actually. It's, it's coaching them, watch, not coaching them, watch them stay. Uh, so um, I think the third thing is that you'll get better people who are higher performers. They're clued into how to self-evaluate, fill in the gaps, and acquire skills. And if you want people to be star performers, you've got to help them meet their own expectations of themselves. That's what coaching does. Yeah, and I guess I said last question, but you just raised another question in my mind. What happens to those people who aren't coached? What what happens when nothing happens? Yeah, uh, a, a lot of bad things can happen because we live in a world right now where people are more conscious of their choices than ever before. Uh, the tenure of, an, of the average AE and uh, the software companies I work with is quite short. I mean, really short. And if you're not coaching people regularly, helping them to be the best professional version of themselves, hearkening back to what you said earlier on, they'll go somewhere where someone else will. Mm -hmm. And it's as simple as that. Mm -hmm. And you think of the, all the investment in identifying, uh, recruiting, onboarding, developing people, there goes your investment if people aren't coached. That's a big thing for me. That's a huge thing because you talk about, you know, they think of the immediate output. Well, they'll they'll grow more sales, but you'll stop turnover. By, and people leave leaders. They don't leave companies. They leave organizations that don't have culture. An environment creates culture. And in an environment where you're coached to a better level, most people don't want to leave that. That's a good thing. And that has nothing to do with money. Mm. That has nothing to do with payroll. Yes. I spoke to a CRO last night about that exact same thing. And he said, yes, what we have managed to do is to give people a feeling of connection to each other and to the brand and to the business. People come here because, in fact, one guy I know has come back four times to the same company because no matter where he goes, he hasn't got the same connection and the same relationships to his leaders that he has in other companies. Why? Because that company has a coaching culture. People look out for each other, grow each other, develop. It sounds, I know, a bit touchy-feely and all that stuff, but it's true. Coaching is the superpower yeah. that great leaders have. Yeah, and, and poor leaders don't have that ability, and that's that's what happens. And, and a lot of folks, they not only don't have the ability, they haven't been trained on it, and it's gone by the wayside, which is, again, why your program is so important. So, Mark, tell our listeners, what's the best way to get more time and attention from you? Uh, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I podcast as well, but I'm all the time connecting with people because I'm curious what people are doing or not doing. And I post on LinkedIn. So I think LinkedIn's the best place. You can look me up, Mark Garrett Hayes, G-A-R-R-E-T-T, -T, Hayes, H-A-Y-E-S. Or you can find the book. And thank you for mentioning that as well, Patrick. <laughs> You're welcome. I was glad to have you today. This was a fantastic conversation. We probably need to do this for like three or four hours. It's it's phenomenal. It's, it's very deep. Messy. It's deep. Yeah, it yeah. is deep. Thanks for your time today, Mark. Thank you, Patrick. So that's it for this time. I hope you enjoyed listening to the conversation as much as I enjoyed participating in it. Every person 
Every business needs some help. Take the first step in your own world. Go to the show description, use the link to my calendar, and set up your own one-on-one time with me, or go to pksolutionsgroup.com for all your bonus resources. We all have choices, and I'm here waiting when you finally choose a different way, a better way. Until then, let me leave you with some wisdom from one of my favorite musical groups, Rascal Flats. Simply put, my wish for you is that your life becomes all that you want it to be.